You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on episode 251 of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. Thank you so much. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled. I'm your disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. Welcome. Let's get started. A couple housekeeping things I wanted to let you know about. Here's something that I want to let you know. I would love for all of you to be on the show, but the Disability After Dark email address has been getting a fuck ton of junk mail. I'm getting weird weather reports from like Florida or something that I never asked for. So I am going to say for the time being, if you want to email a Minnesota or you want to come on the show or you want to do any of that, any of that you can also email me at Andrew at AndrewGerza.com. And just put disability after dark in the subject line because um, because I want to make sure to get your emails. So make sure you email andrewandandrewgerza.com if you want to come on the show um, and you want to do all that. So when you listen to the end and it says to, to do it at the disability after dark email, disregard that and do andrewandandrewgerza.com if you want to be a guest or you want to be... You want to send in a Minnesota, or you want to, you know, you want to be a part of the show somehow. 
I would love to receive your email. And remember, of course, the show is for you. The show is about is now it was once a sex show and we still do a lot of sexuality and disability stuff because that's important and we deserve to shine a light on that. But we also do stuff around other things around disabilities. We talk about, you know, um, access. We talk about how disability feels. Guests share their stories with me. And so I want to remind you that the show is a disability, more like a disability variety show now. And so I'd love for you to, if you were like, I can't be on the show because it's only about sex. It's more than that now. So remember that. And I'd love to have you on. And if you want to come on, send me an email at andrewandandrewgrizzle.com and I will send you a link to where you can sign up and pick your own days and times that work for you and then we'll go from there. But thank you all so much for being here and for supporting the show. Thank you, thank you. Just very quickly, before we get to the show today, I want to let you know of a Patreon supporter that I want to give a shout-out to. My friend Maisha Elone gave us $5 a month to keep the bright lights shining on Disability After Dark. And I want to say to my friend Maisha Elone, you are amazing. Thank you. You are, And the pun for you is, you are my friend, Maisha Elone. You are my friend. I never said the pun would be good, but here it is. Thank you so much for your support and for your $5 a month. And what you get from that is you get the show one day early, a sexy shout-out for me. And if you want to, my Isha Elone, you can build a show with me. So let me know if you want to do that. Thank you, my Isha Elone, for your pledge. If you want to pledge your dollars to keep the bright light shining on the show, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month or more or even a yearly amount if that works for your budget. So you can do that by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and your your donation helps keep the lights on the show, helps keep me paying for the monthly server amounts to have bonus episodes and things like that so I can, I can keep uh, doing cool stuff like that. Your... Donations help things like I got a cool mic a couple years ago. So your donations really are keeping this disability-centric show on the air, which I think is really valuable because we don't have a lot of shows like this on the air. And I couldn't be more thankful for your support. So if you want to pledge financially, you can do that at the Patreon. Or if you want to leave a review, you can also do that. Let me know how the show is and let me know what you'd like me to change and let me know how I can make the show different. I'm also excited to say that we'll be having more bonus kind of series. I want to kind of make this show similar to like a YouTube channel where I can have different shows and different series and different things that I can do all under the Disability After Dark umbrella and the Wheels on the Ground umbrella, but but within the same feed. So I don't have to start a whole new show to talk about this stuff. So that's kind of where my aim is headed. And thank you so much for sticking around and being a part of this. But now, for real, let's get to the show. On the episode today, I am so excited to introduce you to my guest today because she is one of my longtime friends and someone that I've worked with really closely over the last couple years to create a brand new piece of disabled theater. And I am so excited to tell you 
who she is. She's so great. She's a Canadian disabled theater maker. Her name is Debbie Patterson. And we met back in 2017 when she signed on to be one of the dramaturges, which is a theater term for, like, theater maker, basically. She signed on to be a theater maker of of a new theatrical production that I'm working on in Toronto called Access Me, all about queerness, sexuality, and disability. I mean, were you surprised? Of course I'm making a play about queer disabled sex. Of course I am. But so she was, she is the dramaturge of that production. And I wanted to sit down with her to talk about not only our new production, Access Me, but also how her experiences of being a disability theater maker were informed by her, you know, having MS and have been informed by her experiences being disabled. And of course, we talk about her experiences as a disabled person, and so much more. I really loved being able to sit with her and share our experiences working on this play together and what it meant to provide this kind of representation in the theater and working with another fellow disabled person on a theater piece. It was really, really a powerful, fun conversation. We talk about care. We talk about... um, her experiences of multiple sclerosis in the theater and what it was like to go from temporarily able-bodied to a wheelchair user, a wheelchair user, and all those things. Uh, we talk about so much here. I just love sitting down with Debbie, and I'm excited to introduce you to her. So, without further ado, here's my interview with disabled theater maker Debbie Patterson right now on Disability After Dark. Debbie Patterson, hello. Hello, Andrew Gerza. Oh, I am so happy to finally be sitting down with you. I wanted you as a guest on the show for literally years. I'm so honored to be here. I am so excited to see you again. For those who don't know, and I said it in the intro, but Debbie and I knew have known each other for, for doing some theater work together. And normally... Right around this time, when we're recording in July, we would be in a theater space together, yeah, putting together a show. And I haven't seen Debs in like in what two years now? Almost? Two years, yeah. yeah. And it, so to finally sit with her and to like see her again, we we have been theater buds for the last like four years now. Yeah. Um. So to not be in a room doing theater with Deb feels very weird. But she's you want to bike like favorite people in the whole world and I'm so happy that we're about to do this. I'm so happy to be here. You're one of my favorite people too. Oh yay. It's so yay. It's amazing. So we could love on each other for a whole hour, but nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they do, I don't know. But um, but they don't get to. I mean no, no, it's just for us for later. But uh if you could introduce yourself a little bit to the audience. Sure. Tell us a uh, bit about who you are, what you do. Sure, yeah. My name is Debbie Patterson. I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, I'm a theater artist. So I'm an actor and a playwright and a director and a dramaturge. And I teach sometimes and I sometimes write music. Um, And I produce theater. uh, And I have multiple sclerosis. So I had my sort of, I I started my theater career as like a a total tab, uh, walking around on two legs and doing all the things, dancing and singing and doing all that stuff. And then I got MS and had to change up the way I do my work. And uh, and now I'm a wheelchair user. I've been 
like full-time wheelchair using for about three years. Um, and it was sort of a, a long, I guess, 15 year process from being like, you know, dancing in four inch heels to, to being in a wheelchair and, you know, move through that, the, the cane and then crutches and then the scooter that the old ladies ride in the mall and yeah, and a kick scooter. I used a kick scooter as a mobility aid for a long time. Oh, wow. Because I couldn't walk fast enough to keep up with other people. But yeah. if I used a little kick scooter, I totally could. What so. did it feel like for you to go like, because usually the way, you know, the way that the rehab world talks about those devices is like, you go from a wheelchair to a cane, or from a wheelchair to a walker to a cane to walking. And then for, for you, obviously, it was the opposite. Yeah. Completely. What was it like for you to go from com like temporarily able body, which is what tab was in case anybody's listening is like, what was that word? Yeah. yeah. That's, what, that's what tab was. But what was it like to go from a tab to like a full-time wheelchair user in a pretty short, like 15 years is not a long time. Um, yeah. But you know, it's long enough to get used to the idea, right? Yeah. And long enough to learn not to panic. Um because it was, you know, it was, it felt like a bit of a panic at first. Like um, the way I've pra I practiced theater, the way I learned theater was very ableist. Like you had to have total control of your instrument, you know, like you had to be able to do everything with your body. You had to be completely physically versatile so that you could embody any character. And once I started limping, I was like, game over you know like just a little limp and I I didn't think I could act on stage anymore because yeah. I couldn't uh not do that like I couldn't so every character I play has a limp right and and it's just like when you're when it's on stage it has to mean something right and so so if you're watching a play and a character is limping you're like why does that person limp you know yeah, and, and if it doesn't mean anything they, if it yeah if it's not supporting the story, then, then forget it. Right. So, so that was my thinking at the time about, about um, differently abled bodies on stage. And, uh, and my, my thinking on that has done a complete 180. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, that's me. That's my history. Um, I, I, we could just do a whole podcast on just that part. Wow. There's so much to unpack there about like, you know, just being, and I want to talk to you more about theater in a minute. And we will actually uh -huh. right now with this question. <laughs> um, um, but a more deeper part of that question is how does disability negative, how does disability positively and negatively impact your day-to-day -day life? Oh, my day-to-day -day life. Wow. You know, I feel like it doesn't impact it a ton. Like, like, I don't know. Before I was a wheelchair user, I thought it would be like, oh my God a wheelchair is so limiting, right? But yeah. but once you make the adjustment, once you set yourself up, you know, and you have a home where it works and you like figure out how to do all the things while being in a wheelchair, then it's like, it's not a big deal. It's just a different way to move through the world. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so, I, I, I've seen you in your chair and I, I see the way you, cause you're a manual chair user, right? Mm -hmm. At least right now. For now, um, yep. And I've seen the way you navigate that thing. And it's like, it's, it literally is like watching you walk around, walk across the street. Cause you're so, you're so comfy in it. And for me, you know, not being able to, to push a chair like that, I use a power chair. So it's, it's a completely different like way of, of doing wheelchairs. 
Um, mm -hmm. And so to watch you do that, it's so natural that, yeah, it looks really smooth. Thanks. Like it, I've, we, you and I, in the summer when, when we used to do the, the theater stuff, would go across the street from the theater to the Shoffer's Drug Mart, which for all your Americans is like basically a CVS. We'd go to there and we would like, me clunking in my big chair and you were gliding in your manual chair. And I was like, wow, she really has control of that thing. So yeah. Um, but in, yeah, in, it's like, a sweet little chair. It's a really, it's a really cute little like zippity chair. Like it a, is, yeah. A city, you know, you're like in the city doing things kind of chair. Yeah. 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 A sassy city chair. Yeah, that's right. It is. It's a sassy city <laughs> chair. Um, but in like, what other ways does the, the MS impact your body like yeah um well i have a bunch of things that happen like i i have uh spazzy legs and uh and like incontinence is a big deal for me me too hey, oh, hey. <laughs> yeah it's super it's like i still haven't figured out how to manage that really well it's still a source of stress for me you know yeah and just like constant planning on like oh I want to go to this place you know at 10 a.m tomorrow so that means you know like like that just means so I much. gotta pee before like I yeah leave the house when I get no there, coffee yeah. after 8 a.m you know like, yeah 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 and, just like a lot of planning and so like going from a tab to a wheelchair user obviously the planning has changed a bit in, yeah. in that time do you feel like you're like a master of scheduling now and you yeah. know how to like do all that? Yeah, I'm better at scheduling, although you'd never know it by the number of times we had to <laughs> delay our little our little interview. Um, but yeah, I'm better at scheduling. I'm I'm uh, way more chill about people being late for things that I'm meeting them with for yeah. you know, like like way more chill about time than I used to be. Um, yeah. I mean, I hate feeling late because I always feel like of course they would think the disabled guy is late. They would assume he would be, yeah. or they, they would assume they would be late already. So I always feel like I have to be super early or just cancel the whole thing entirely. Yeah. It's just like, well, what is, what is even the point if I can't be there? Yeah. Even on Zoom in this weird quasi thing we're in now, it's like, if I can't be there exactly the time I said I would, I'm just going to say, I'm like, no, no. Because, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so yeah, so how do you think MS has, impacted you like is there a positive side to it you think tons tons like uh okay when I first started limping I was like okay so if I have to stop doing theater then what can I do and and if I have to stop doing that because you know I had a like a number of things that I did that were related to theater um and was trying to figure out how I could continue to do this work with this changing body and just kind of imagine my way through you know, so, so what happens if, you know, when I can't walk, what happens when I can't use my hands? What happens if I lose my vision? Cause I lost my sight first. Right. And then it came back. What happens if I can't talk? Cause like I've met some people with MS whose voices are, are like so soft because they yeah. can't produce sound, like, like all these things. And, and I was like, That's will I scary. still be That's me like if I can't really... do all these things that will I still be me? And, and, so I had to like unpack all these ideas about what does it mean to be a person? What defines me? What defines my identity? What about what I do defines my identity? Or is my identity based simply on who I am? And if I could do nothing 
but breathe, would I still be who I am, you know? And so having to like think that way and to think about, you know, to just break it down for myself about what is it I'm afraid of and, and what is at the end of this road and, and getting okay with what's at the end of the road so that the whole journey can then be just kind of freeing and joyful and that's that those are like that's a you had to condense like lifelong <laughs> questions into holy fuck how do I manage this like, yeah the question yeah. of what am I afraid of I'd love to go like okay let's go there for a minute like what so in all that soul searching what did you discover like what about this scared you the most um I was afraid of being useless oh yeah yeah afraid but- of being useless um afraid of yeah yeah like i i was i used the phrase i'm going to outlive my usefulness oh right and thinking about what does that mean and and what do i think of as useful as a person like how am i useful as a person in the world and and like beyond earning a living you know beyond having a job like what do i do in this world that is useful that is what that gives me worth yeah. 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 That's yeah. That's heavy, but you know, I'm sure that and I've I've been struggling with a lot of that during the pandemic too, just like, you know, what am I doing here? Like is it worth does anybody care? Should I keep doing this? Like I, and I I can't imagine going from, you know, temporarily able-bodied to to the wheelchair over that time span and having to every time I'm sure every time you lost function you would have to reinterrogate those yeah. feelings. Like, I'm sure it didn't just all come in one big package. Be like, okay, now interrogate them, I'm sure. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure it came every time something happened to you. You had to, like, rejig that for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And first, like, first I would panic. And then, you know, like, the panic first. Oh, no, I cannot live like this. How is going to happen, right? And then, and then get past the panic and then figure it out you know and I think I've gotten past the panic now like I I don't think I have to do that part you know but like, that's I, good because the panic the panic's hard and I, yeah. like, I've, I've been a disabled person from the day I was born and like I still go through oh you know what if I lose if I lose this what yeah. will happen and I think those conversations are so important for us to have in the disability community because we're having them all the time behind closed doors, but we very rarely bring them out publicly. And so thank you yeah. for sharing that piece of vulnerability with us. Cause I don't think we talk about that enough. Um, yeah. And that's part of the reason why I wanted you on the show. Cause I knew you would say something brilliant within the first five minutes. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and I also think like panic, I maybe because my, my thing is neurological, but panic makes things worse. Right. Yeah. It's like MS is neurological. So if I'm, if I'm spazzing and I start to panic, then my spaz gets worse. Right. Yeah, it's like if, I'm, have... if I'm like experiencing a moment of, Oh no, I might piss myself and I panic. I will piss myself. Right. Yeah. Like the panic, there's no problem so big that panic won't make it worse. You yeah, know, it's like with me and my IBS, if I panic, then I'm going to poo. I will probably poo. Yeah. Um. So, or like, yeah. you know, and with CP, the same thing too, of like the, if you're trying to go fast, to like go somewhere and you're rushing, yes. your spasms will be like, fuck you, you gotta slow down now, watch. <laughs> like, yes. So yeah. like I fully understand that part. Um is there any other is there any like other positives for your disability that you want to share? Hmm. 
Yeah, I think um, I think we don't in our in our culture we don't value uh, vulnerability, and we don't value weakness as much as we value strength. And I've come to believe that our weaknesses and our strengths are both important parts of ourselves, like night and day are important parts of each other, you know, that, yeah. that we need both weaknesses and strengths. And that when our weaknesses make us feel shame, and when we try to hide them, we do damage to ourselves and to our relationships. And when we can own our weaknesses as, as will, willingly as we own our strengths, then it it informs our relationships in beautiful ways. I've through COVID, I've noticed this this expression, this phrase about um, communities of care or mutual care, right? Yeah. Where where people are finding ways to support each other through COVID, and and most of us are really down with offering help, you know, like I am ready to offer help whenever you need it. Not a lot of us feel just as comfortable saying, I need help. And if nobody is saying I need help, then that web of care never gets built. Yeah. And that that community of care doesn't exist. And so our weaknesses are actually the things that build community. Our strengths divide us and make us individuals, but our weaknesses build our interdependence and make us a community. Wow, I like that. It's so poetic. Have you written it down somewhere? And can you I have I have written it down. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah, it's in a project I'm working on right now. But I think it. it's so important that like just to to learn to own your weaknesses without shame. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is a question that I set up for later, but I can ask it now because we went there. Uh, okay. what is what does you know, and you're right, we don't talk enough about vulnerability in our in dis the disability community, even though like we're talking around it, but we never like directly talk about it usually because we're usually lumped into like the hero, the disability, like hero overcoming yeah. thing or the pitiful, sad creature thing. So yeah. what does disability vulnerability look like for you? Hmm. Um, for me, it's, it's uh, being able to request help when I need it, being able to receive care with grace um, that's a fucking hard one. That's really hard. That's a, that's a really tough one. I got to I, I yeah. receive care like at least five, six times a day. And I so admire you. It's, and you know, like, cause we worked on that theater thing together, which we'll get to in a minute, but yeah. you see me, like you've seen me in the throes of, I hate my care. I yeah. hate what I have to live through. And it's so hard to reach a place of grace with that yeah. with needing care all the time and most humans couldn't do it it's so yeah. hard it's really hard it's really hard and i haven't experienced it that much i had this i had this incident where i i was hospitalized and i could not so much as roll over in bed and had to receive care for like a couple of weeks where you was, know was... where i could not like i couldn't pee by myself right like and and uh and learning to and I was I, I was like oh boy I get to learn how to receive care when it <laughs> happened right because I had never had that lived experience and I knew I would learn something about who I was through that experience and uh and just like just I was so full of gratitude 
through it. And, and then, then when the care was poor, when, um, when I would need to use, you know, I would need to use the bedpan and, and no one would show up or, or I had one nurse who didn't believe me, who oh. was like, you know, clearly punishing me to put me in my place. Oh, and no. how that, oh my God. And, and I just went on this like downward spiral of like, I, why am I here? And, and just like, it made me feel so bad about myself. Yeah. Right. And it was so interesting to like see how I reacted to bad care yeah, and, and how how damaging it was. It's such a visceral reaction. And oh, you don't, my God. It's happened to me recently, like very recently. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. And it, it, you know, you don't realize you think you're going to be calm and cool as a cucumber and you think you have all the tools to be to be, you know, to be appropriate and to do the right thing. But the minute it happens to you, you're you're instinct is to be like what the fuck are you what is going on yeah yeah how you how fucking dare you yeah how very fucking dare you do what you're doing like it's not okay and so i fully understand like and it's something that i live with daily so i can only imagine for you you know because you have a modicum of independence and so i can imagine having that taken away must have been so hard it was really interesting and it, and it wasn't hard. Like it was, it wasn't hard because I, I knew it was temporary and I knew it was an experience that I should have. Um, just, I just wanted to know what it felt like, you know? And I, yeah. I felt lucky that I could be a tourist in that, in that world that I could come back to my, to my wiping my own bum world. You know? Oh, how I wish that was my world. Yeah. I, I wish. Yeah. Wanna, if you ever want to swap out, let's find a way. We'll figure it out. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, but I want to, I, I love having you on so much and I want to talk about, <laughs> I want you to tell the audience how you and I met and, and why you, and the stuff that you and I are working on and why that's, and just why that's important for the world. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we met doing this show called, well, it was called Boys in Chairs, and now it's called Access Me. Yay! And, and um, so the three of you, there were three guys, you and Ken and Frank, and you're yep. all queer wheelchair users. Yep. And you were working with Jonathan and Brian. Brian. Who are able-bodied theater artists, also yep. queer, and... And I think Jonathan realized that you needed another uh, disabled person who wasn't a performer to help tell the story and to advocate for access, really. Yeah, I mean, we we were doing the show. We met in 2015 and started mapping the show the next year, 2016, I think. And during the 2016 run of this theater project, which, which I had no idea how to do theater and I was very new to the and I'm still very new to the whole thing but I didn't realize that it would be such a long process I thought we would yeah. do it for a summer and it'll be over so we started working on this idea to talk about queerness sexuality and disability through theater which for me was like a whole I did not know how to do that I knew how to give a 90 minute lecture and be done and we're finished this was like a whole this is like you have to go in the trenches pick out your deepest, darkest feelings, put them on a page and then act them out for the world to see. And it was really tough. And I remember the summer before you came on, we had had trouble connecting with with 
each other just because the three of us, me, Ken Harrower, and Frank Hall, who are the who are the performers in this piece, were struggling to show the able-bodied production team like what the experience was. And we were just we were getting to the point of like, okay, this is really hard to do. We need someone else to come in and like help us. So then then I think Jonathan found you somewhere. Yeah. In, in his like through, a, through a friend. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember meeting you and thinking like taking a big sigh of relief being like okay it'll be all right now oh <laughs> because we needed we were we were doing this thing but we were dealing with two beautiful theater people who were not disabled who try as they might could, didn't get it so the minute you yeah. came in it leveled the playing field because you were part of our production team but you were also a wheelchair user so the three of us could go to you and be like you understand, right? This thing we got to do for the scene works this way, right? Yeah. And so it just changed the whole dynamic of this this project we wanted to do, which at the time was we did, we weren't sure what it was going to be, and then you came in, and here we are. Yeah, yeah, and the like the mainstream theater world is so ableist, like the the work hours are punishing for anybody. You know, yeah. it's like like the hours are too long. Um, and the, the demands on the performers are, are extremely difficult. And I just think it's, I, th I think it's a totally ableist business. And, and I don't think it supports good art to have such an ableist process. So, no. so anyways, just like trying to, uh, trying to inject a little bit of uh, creepy, creepy freedom into that ableist way of thinking was really fun. Yeah. And I mean, when, when you sign on to do this project and, and, to do it with us I remember just when we started working together like all of us but you like you and I and, and the other performers specifically it changed the dynamic of what we were doing and I remember it went from being a really heavy thing to all of a sudden it was like lighter it was like more fun wow we could play and I remember like because you would come in and you would you would play for this thing we're doing for anybody who's listening who's like what are they talking about so it's it's a it's a theater piece we're doing out of Toronto called Access Me about queerness, sex, and disability. Um, and we're we're still in the process of doing it. The COVID hit. We've been doing it for about four years. It'll probably be like a seven to eight year project by the time it's done, really, realistically. Uh, but it's the first of its kind, really, that brings queerness and disability and wheelchair users to the front stage like this. And so it's a really amazing project. And Debbie is our dramaturge for that. Um, and I love working with you because you would jump in. So, okay, let me be an audience member. Let me try this. Let me do this. Um, what did you, when you came on, when you signed on and you started seeing it take shape, what did you think? Uh, uh, I was amazed at how, how candid all three of you were, how, um, how open you were about discussing the deep, dark secrets of your lives. Um, I found that super super uh moving uh just the way all of you shared so generously um, um i i really enjoyed uh kind of being the one who straddles the two worlds of of theater and disability and uh and being able to sort of speak both those languages um yeah. and help help my able-bodied peers find their way with disability find you know find comfort and find, yeah and like, i mean you know 
what are you allowed to ask and <laughs> and how do you like do that and how what's okay and like I, what I love about about our two non-disabled team members is that they and I'm gonna have Jonathan on at some point to you know talk about his experience you know building it and doing it and being who we lovingly refer to as director man um and so I'm gonna ask him to come on but you know having you there to get to give him guidance when it's not from us also feels super good because if we're like devs Jonathan doesn't get it we need you to like can you just can you explain this (laughs) thank you yeah I mean and having somebody on the and I love also having someone on the production team who's also disabled so you can be on the back end being like well this wouldn't work this is not accessible here's how like here's how to do it so that it isn't just it isn't a bunch of non-disabled producers putting disabled people out front to be like look at the great thing we've done to include disability it's there's a disabled person behind the scenes also being like we can let's how let me help you make this the right way yeah yeah and i mean i'm so proud of it i'm so excited by what it's going to be uh we don't know i don't know what it's going to look like when we finally get to be in the room together again i know i know it's so weird like it's so uh, weird to have this big break it's so like I'm, i have all these memories just talking to you about like i I can remember scenes. I can remember like things we did, but it feels yeah. like such so long ago because it the was. last time we did it, it was like summer of 2019, and it's now mm-hmm. summer. Of, we're recording this in summer of 2021, so it feels like super, super weird. Um, yeah. What is your favorite part of Access Me? Oh, <laughs> that's a hard question. I, I like the. Um, I like your your experiment at the beginning. Oh yeah, so but, there, yeah, there, there's an experiment where and it's it's not a play in the one act, two act, three act sense. It's more like it's more like a little bunch of theater pieces all strung together into one thing that is possibly a play. So <laughs> at one point during the production, I do an experiment where I say to an audience member, okay, I'm gonna help, I'm gonna show you what my day is. I'm gonna show you how how I get showered. I'm gonna show you how I get up. I mean, I'm gonna ask you to talk to me like an attendant care worker. So I, I'll go over to an audience member and I'll say, hi, I'm gonna show you how I get into bed and I need you to help me. And I'm, I want you to say, good morning to me, Andrew, like I'm the attendant care worker. And so the person will say, good morning, Andrew. And then I'll say, great, you said it just like the attendant care worker. And then I'll say, can you say it like you're my lover? And they, they kind of, they act all like nervous and shy. And I make them say like, can you say good morning, Andrew? Like we're lovers. And they all, they go, uh, uh, you know, and they do like good morning, Andrew. And so I get to go around the room and show them how, how I'm treated every day in a care setting, but also show them how I wish I was treated in yeah. like a sexy setting. And so that is a really fun part. It's super fun, and I think it's so instructive to um, to consider how how much um, intimate but non intimate touch there is in in that in that world of care. Yeah, it's and I'm sure, like you were saying earlier, when you kind of had to to dip your toe in the world of care, how did you feel about the the intimate but non intimate touch? What was it like for you? I was just so grateful that someone could do this for me. 
yeah. I was, it's, yeah. It, I mean, but you're right. There's so much, there's so much quasi intimacy in the care world. And it's, it's hard because it's intimate, but it's also a job, but it's mm-hmm. also person. It's such a blurry, like messy line. Yeah. And I wish we could talk about it more. Yeah. And there's no withholding consent. Yeah. There's like, no, you need, you know, you need someone to touch you. Yeah. You can't not consent to the you touch. You can't say no. You, you have, it. you have to agree to it. And that, yeah. that for me is hard. Um, yeah. What other parts of the the play we're working on are your are your are oh. ones that you enjoy? I um I really like the dances. Yeah, I I really do like the dances. There's two Frank and, and Ken who are the other two principal actors. They do they do a couple wheelchair dances using their power chairs and again to see that on stage and in 2019 we did a we did basically our big show of our big presentation of the show so far. Um, and at one point at, or at two points, they do, they do some dancing and it's really cool to see power chair users just enjoying themselves and then showing you how power chair users on stage move with grace and with like, with like power and with all the stuff that you don't expect a power chair user to be, you know, you don't think of them as graceful necessarily, but right. it really is. It's really, it's really powerful. Yeah. Well, and the dance at the end as well. Yeah. Where we all do the Gerza. The, <laughs> for the, for doing the, the Gerza is my one dance move, which it's is. It's a great dance move. It's all you need. It's like the sprinkler, but with spasms, basically. That's what the Gerza is. Um, and so at the end of the play, the at the end of the play the scene turns into a nightclub and we all start dancing and because we wanted to make we want when we were designing what the show was going to be we kept saying all of us said we want to go to a club a gay club that's accessible for all of us and so we decided that at the end of the play everyone that was there was going to dance with us and it was going to turn into like this dance bar of our dreams and so at the end you know, I dance around in a harness and I'm half naked and there's, it's a, it's a good time, but so great. Yeah, it was so, it was really fun to see, to see that. What did you, in doing this with us and working with us, what did you learn about theater from, you know, spending these, having spent these four years with us so far? Yeah. What did I learn about theater? Wow. Or just really life or anything just generally. Yeah. It's well, it's, yeah, it's been super interesting. Like, especially working on a project about sex because our disabled bodies uh, inform our understanding of what it means to have a body, what it means to live in a body and, and, and challenge ableist ideas about what our bodies are for and, and, you know, how much we have to control them or how much we can just accept them as they are, you know, love our bodies as they are. And, and this idea of, it was, it's funny, I think in the second year we were working together, I had this like, this like insight about how declaring you're horny is like a super anti-ableist statement. 
Like yeah. ab- ableism demands that you pretend you're in control of your body and, and there is nothing that, your body right? wants that, that, you know, that you can't be in charge of. Right. Yeah. And, and declaring that you're horny is like a beautiful anti-ableist statement. Everybody feels it, but nobody will say it. And it takes disabled people to say it because we can be honest about what our bodies are doing. We can be honest about not being in control. You know, everybody else is pretending they're in control. They're not, they're just pretending. But when you're disabled, you can't pretend. And so you just, you, you own it. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that was something when we were looking at names for this piece, Ken, one of our performers said, I want to just call it horny. And we, you know, I remember all of us giggled at him and said, oh, no, we can't call it that. Like, but, but, you know, looking back on it now with what you've just said, it almost like the next time we do it, maybe we should like sit around again and think about maybe, maybe we should put it in somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Access my horny ass. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the scenes that I love so much in the play was um, the scene where, Ken and, and and Frank talk about sex work oh. and have and have there are so Ken and Frank, the two principal actors that I that I do it with, have a scene where they talk about how one of them hires sex workers to get laid and one of them doesn't. And ha- they have a, a a fight, not a fight, but a, an argument about how why should one have to hire sex workers? And the other one's like, well, because it's easier, it's better. Here's what, and so I love that because you don't see that on stage. I don't think I've ever seen that dramatized or turned into something ever in my in you know. Not that I have a ton of theater experience, but I've never seen yeah. stories like that on on stage. What what stories for you? Well, like what what pieces of it for you as a disabled person resonate? Wow. Um, God, I don't know. I don't know. There's so many, eh? Yeah, like all of it, all of it. Um, the opening with all the questions that people ask. Yeah. Oh just, my God. That's like it's, one, it's one of my favorite parts. We do, and we do in the second part of it. After we say hello, we do a game with the audience where we give. Audience, all the audience member cards and they have to ask us they have to as part of the game ask us inappropriate questions about yeah about our sex about our disabilities about our bodies and i remember when we when we were sitting there planning this out and we were writing out the questions of things we've been asked you and jonathan and brian looked at us like are you fucking kidding me? This is what people say. And we all went, oh yeah, it's, that's, that's a normal Tuesday. It's... Yeah. <laughs> and and so to, I love that part because to make an audience member safely uncomfortable where they yeah. know they're safe and they know we're not going to f- be upset and like we know what they're going to ask. But to watch them try to navigate how am I going to ask this without hurting this person's feelings? Yeah. And they're forcing me to. Because yeah. it's part of the game. How do I? And it's so fun to watch them kind of stew in their own ableism for a hot minute and realizing that, like, yikes, this is uncomfortable. And so I love that because it makes them realize 
maybe I shouldn't ask this out in the real world either. <laughs> like maybe, right. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, maybe the fact that I was already thinking it is what's making me uncomfortable and maybe I shouldn't even be thinking it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, and I think, you know, what I love about this piece is it's not your typical, like I said earlier, it's not your typical like act one, act two, act three play. It's very much an amalgamation of just ideas we had over five years of, of putting stuff together. And it's like, it's unlike anything I've seen on stage before. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say that's in high part to you being there because you like you help us make it run. Like you <laughs> you bring like Jonathan and Brian are great and I love them and they're fantastic, of course. But I think you're extra special because <laughs> because you're you're like also a disabled person that we can we can go to and say, What do you think about this? Like there's a scene where I have to to do a bunch of movements in my wheelchair, and I remember Jonathan and I tried it, and I said, "Oh no, no, you don't, you not, you're not doing the motions right because you're walking, and you, it doesn't work." So I said, "Debbie, come here," and I pulled you into the thing, and I said, "Go with me, and wheel beside me, and pretend like you're you're, you're a wheelchair user, so I can get this motion right." And I remember yeah. once we did it, I was like, "Yeah, see, you got it," and it was so seamless. So I love having a disabled person in the mix yeah. like a physically disabled person too in the mix with us who can who can play in that world and i understand it intrinsically yeah yeah blocking wheelchairs is completely different from blocking bipeds on stage like it's the way wheelchairs move the way we you know the way we use the space is completely different yeah completely different yeah and it's it's bigger and wider and usually you need more of it and so, like, to have you there, to, and, sorry. The, well, and there were things we discovered, too, with, like, with, like, your wheelchair and the sounds it makes and how to, like, use the sounds of your wheelchair, like, punctuation, you know? Oh, so, like, yeah. When you, like, when you made a big statement and then you stopped and then your chair would go click. <laughs> like, you make this statement and then there'd be, like, this exclamation point at the end with your chair clicking on cue. It's so beautiful. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think those are things in a big theater space when we do get to create this in a bigger, like, proper theater space in, in 2052 when it's allowed to, when we're allowed to do that. But, like, when, you know, that's possible, I think hearing those sounds on stage is amazing. My favorite scene, though, I have to say, of Access Me slash Boys in Chairs slash whatever the fuck it's going to be called when we do it again, Um I let, there's a scene where I have to get in my sling and I have to get up in the air. Mm -hmm. And I love that so much because a sling and a Hoyer lift is something that we use. And everybody who listens to this knows this already. And I've talked about my sling a million times, but you know, it's a thing we use in the bedroom or in the bathroom. We've no, I've never seen one ever on a stage like that before. Mm -hmm. Like I remember when we did that and I remember when we were talking it through and you and Jonathan and Brian said, well, why don't we just rent one? And I remember looking at all of you going, what? <laughs> like, yeah. Excuse me? What? What? And it's it, it, such a cool thing to do, to do that scene where I'm in the sling and I'm acting, but I'm also doing what is my day-to-day. -day. Like, so powerful. Um, yeah. How do you think other mobility devices like slings and, and different things we use can be incorporated to make theater more... A, inclusive, B, representative, and C, accessible. Yeah. Well, I feel like 
I feel like the truth of the lived experience of disability is not represented on stage like, yeah. or in our media, uh, not nearly enough, like a little bit, but not enough. You know, we still just have really the two narratives of the poor, pitiful creature or the superhero. And my, you know, my own sense of who I am as a disabled person doesn't fall into either of those categories. Yeah. And, and when that's the only story we have about disability, when you become disabled, you think you, you can only be one of those two things. And it's not true. And I think it's why so many people are so afraid of disability, of becoming disabled, is because they don't have a sense of what it's actually like. Because disabled people haven't been involved in the storytelling yeah. that we tell as a culture. So I think it's like, it's a, it's a huge thing to, to share the truth of the lived experience of disability with a non-disabled audience. It tells them so much about their own bodies that they could never figure out without it. And it was, I, that scene was really hard. And thinking about the audience and thinking about the time we did it live, it was really hard to get in that sling and to like, yeah, it's play. And yes, I know what to do. And it's not really real, but it's real because they're seeing yeah. me do it. And they're seeing me get lifted out of my chair. And at that moment, anything could happen. And I have to put my trust in, in the attendant care person that's actually doing it. And I have to put my trust in like the audience that they're going to understand that even though I'm in a sling, I'm so fuckable in that moment. Cause in that moment, in that moment, I'm trying to seduce a pretend guy to fuck me um, mm. on stage while also being, it was such a busy scene, but so important. And the sling is so sexy. <laughs> like it's so sexy, you know, mm. and, and the way it's slow, like the slow lift of the, of the, of the, the the hoyer. Hoyer, like the, it's, you know it's just like it has to take its time you know <laughs> and it's like it's that's part of the sexiness yeah. is the slowness of it and the way we all as the audience we all are like okay we're down for this ride you know? yeah yeah we're, we're we're gonna get down to that speed and we're gonna be there with you like it's so beautiful and it it really is that and it <laughs> it that's like looking back on it that scene makes me almost emotional because like it was such it was a, such a part of me saying this is literally how I do this and I'm terrified to show you because you we never know who's going to be in the audience mm -hmm. like I remember at one point I was thinking about inviting my one of my sex workers to come to the to the show or or one of us was going to invite somebody we had slept with to the show and I was like oh my god please don't do that it's so scary please Please yeah. don't. Please. No, no. Um, but what I love about the show is it's raw. It's really, there's no holes barred. We talk about stuff that I think even me as a performer wasn't ready to hear the first time. There are a couple scenes from my other performers that they do. One of them talks about the time. Ken talks about a time, and I, I don't, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing this story. He talks about a time when a sex worker he hired locked him in a bathroom and left him unable to, you know, protect, to get out of a situation. And he had to call the police and the police shamed Ken for hiring a sex worker because the sex worker hurt him. Yeah. And while they're not wrong, also like sex workers work and let him allow him to hire whoever he wants. Yeah. And so, so that story of like trying to have sex and trying to be sexual and then being 
abused by somebody like that was I remember when the first time he did it on stage I'm a nervous giggler and I remember having to remove myself from watching it because I was like this is so powerful and I can't laugh at him it's not fair so I had to like remove myself because it was so hard to listen to that somebody would do that to another person but to see that on stage it's fucking beautiful Mm -hmm. to see that rawness from from somebody on stage and you know all of us who did it and you know you've been there when we're not when we're not doing it it takes a toll on us like we have to there are days where all of us say fuck it we don't want to do this today can we just like not do not work on this today there's been a few times where we've said to all of you like can we just play a game for like an hour before we do anything can we do be do something silly because this is too hard yeah it's really hard it's to put disability experiences into theater that are real experiences that are not just like oh no the cute conventionally blonde girl is now disabled and she's going gonna go through the tragedy of her life like (laughs) okay yeah but to put like real disability stuff in in a a theater piece i didn't realize how emotional it would be there are days where i've left there hating you guys like loving you but also like i don't want to this no yeah and there are days where we've left all crying because it was just a lot yeah yeah it's it's an amazing piece and you know i it's just occurring to me now that it's about when we're when we're in uh when we're having a sexual encounter with another person, we are making ourselves so vulnerable to that person. And and our disabled bodies are already vulnerable. And that it it is just such an extreme state of vulnerability to to welcome another person into an intimate encounter when when you're disabled. Like yeah. it is such it is like it it it's a fucking honor. You know, I mean, if a if a disabled person welcomes you into a in. relationship, because it's so vulnerable, it is a fucking honor. To it's me. the scariest thing that. I've ever done is to let somebody into my sex life, and yeah. to and to not worry about are they going to leave me? Are they going to say like? And not even are they going to leave me now? Now it's like, are they going to do it? But are they going to say shit afterwards to their friends about how weird it was to yeah. fuck that disabled guy? Like. They might not leave because that's not polite, but they might say shit after or they might be, you know. So to put those feelings on stage, there's a scene where like just before I get in the sling, I do a whole monologue, which I can sort of remember now. I can't remember all of it, but I remember pieces of like talking about how I want him, how the guy's going to come over and how we're going to have babies and how we're going to have China patterns and all this stuff and sharing the fact that I'm, you know, that I want these things, but I can't have it because of disability to put those stories on stage is so incredible. So I cannot wait for all of you who are listening to get a chance to watch us. Like, I don't know when we're going to do it again. I really have no clue anymore, but like, I hope that access me in this project we're working on gets to see the light of day again, because I love it so much and I miss it. And I hope you get to do it. Yeah. It's a great show. It's, it's and and, and plus at the end you get to dance with us and I'm in a harness at the end. What could yeah. be better for you? Yeah. And you can try at the Hoyer lift. Yeah. Which that, is fucking great. That I mean it was really fun. At, at the end of that scene where I'm in the sling, a lot of people tried the Hoyer lift and got to be in it, which I thought was really important because they got to understand what it's like to be that what what it's like to do that. And I remember seeing our non-disabled 
um, team go in it and play in it for a minute. And it was so such a nice thing to watch because you could see them go, oh, I didn't realize. And you could see their eyes like shift. Like, oh, this is yeah. what this is. And I loved being able to use the theater to give them a glimpse of disability without shaming them in doing that, without saying like, yeah. oh my God, you don't deserve to be a part of this. Saying like, come into this with me. Let me show you um, how I live. And it that was powerful for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm trying to think about what else I want to ask you because we literally went on for an hour about the play. Oh uh, <laughs> so... Uh, what, here's, a, here's a good thing that I can ask you. One of the things you said in your questionnaire was that ableism hurts everyone. And you're very right about that. Ableism is super pervasive and hurts all of us. So yeah. I'm wondering if you have a story, a particular time where you were hurt by ableism and how that made you feel. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I get a lot of condescension. Um like I, I run a disability theater company and uh, people always assume that it's like uh, therapeutic recreation for people with disabilities. They assume that we can't possibly be doing professional theater <laughs> as people with disabilities. Oh, no. But, you know, they'll come and watch us because that will be inspiring. Um, oh. You know, like like I, I deal with the media all the time and 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 always every production we we do there's some idiot asking a question about like, is this an uplifting experience for these performers? You know, ew. Like, would you ask an able theater like a mainstream theater yeah. that question? Would you ask it's a Tony? So... Would you ask a Tony producing person yeah. like, hey, does your does your like super famous cast feel uh, uplifted by this? Yeah, yeah. Are they validated by all the people coming to watch them do their thing? You know, like, oh, it's and, so ableist, so ableist. And your theater company is called? Sick and Twisted. Oh, my God, I love it. And I, I knew that, but I wanted you to say it because it's, so, it's such a great name. Um, <laughs> and so what, how, other than like, other than like working with disabled performers and putting on stuff like that, what, what, how does your theater company differ from, say, the like mainstream theater companies? Um, good question. I mean, we do more mentorship than yeah. most companies because so many people with disabilities have been excluded and haven't been offered training opportunities or professional opportunities to develop, you know? So that's a big difference. We have um, ASL interpretation. We have relaxed performances. We've trained a group of people to do a live audio description because there was no one doing it Fantastic. in Manitoba. Wow. So yeah, so we've made that available to the whole community, but that's something our 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 company does. Um, we do a lot more advocacy around accessibility at theater than than you know a mainstream theater company would. Like you wouldn't be expected to any yeah. any um, advocacy in that way. Yeah. What is what does accessibility in the theater look like for you as both a performer and an audience member? Um, yeah, so it's it's theater where we can bring our whole selves. So, like, especially, especially as a woman working in theater, there, and, you know, and because I've been at it for a long time, I know when I, when I was starting out, it was, it was like, 
partly about being a good good actor, but it was also kind of a beauty contest, you know? Like there was this expectation that you would be conventionally beautiful yeah. as an actor, as a woman, right? And and there was like this expectation that you would perform a kind of femininity. And it's not true. And it's and it's because so much of the storytelling at that time was written by straight men and and the female characters were like a straight man's idea of a woman, yeah. then you would be sort of like the, the expectation was that we would perform a straight man's idea of what femininity is. So you'd be and, a fuck toy basically is what the character would be. Yeah, like. a lot of the time or just like, oh, just whatever it was, it was not real. Yeah. It wasn't grounded in my lived experience, in my female body of what it means to be in the world, in this body, you know? Yeah. And yeah, so that's like, like just being able to tell the truth about our bodies is is a really big thing that I don't think a lot of theater has been open to for a long time. And it's changing with the Me Too movement, with yeah. women saying, fuck this, you know, this we're not putting up with this bullshit anymore with all these men in power telling us how to do this. You know, like yeah. like like women are reclaiming the right to tell the truth about their lived experience and their bodies in ways that hasn't happened. And and it's it's been really interesting to watch that happen as I'm as I'm you know uh, uh, transforming into a disabled performer and and finding the truth of this lived experience that I have never seen represented on stage because most representations of disabled people are created by people who don't have disabilities yeah. for people who don't have disabilities and they're performed by people who don't have disabilities so it's just lies 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 right <laughs> and so so being able to tell the truth about our bodies is really important. And, and I think it's what, it's what bringing disability, creating access for disability within the mainstream theater world, it's, how, it's the thing that we're gonna change about the way theater is made for everybody, not yeah. just for disabled people, but all of us yeah. can tell the truth about our bodies. Wow. Yeah. I mean, are you writing a book? Have you written a book? How do we can we can we, can we option a book for you? Can you do an audio podcast? Like, what do you yeah. have? Can we give you a platform, please? You need one. You're giving me one right now. So many powerful things. Like, so much, you're and you're right. You're completely yeah. right. We need and I think disability is so transformative to the theater space. Um, yeah, I, that's why I'm so proud to be doing what we're doing with you because we're changing the game for everyone. Yeah. And yeah. And not just not just the performers and the people in the theater business, but the audiences, too. Yeah. For right? everyone, like the way we the way we conducted our audience, even when we did our last one, was super accessible. The way yeah. we put them together so that we could, as performers and in chairs, connect with them was amazing. The way we've designed our set to be as accessible as possible for both an audience member to like join us or as his performance to just get around is really, really cool. Yep. Yeah. Um, I could sit and talk with you for a million years more because I love you so much. You don't even, you don't even understand. Um, you're one of my favorite people ever. Uh, and I miss having ice cream with you in Toronto. I miss having ice cream with you too. It's my oh, favorite thing. I know. One day soon. One day soon. Um, my last question for you before I make you make you 
plug all your things. Uh-huh. Debbie Patterson, dramaturg extraordinaire. Um, in your opinion, what makes disabled people hot? Oh, our vulnerability, our connection to our our bodies, like our our body awareness, um, our openness to new experiences, our non-judgmental uh, attitude towards other people's bodies, uh, towards other people's uh, minds, and and you know just other people's kinks. Like we we don't we don't judge, right? Like we. Yeah, I think I, that I, makes I, us I, hot. I wish that was true for all of us. It's not true for all. I wish it was true for all of us. It's not um, true for everybody, but I feel like I feel like being adaptive, being a person who who has to adapt uh, the way the world works in order to fit yeah. there, you know, in order to make it work for you, allows you to to be a little more creative in your thinking and a little more open minded, and and yeah. I think that. That imagination, creativity, open-mindedness—all those things are super sexy. And so, what makes you hot, Deb Patterson, as a disabled person? What makes me hot? Uh, I don't know. I think my joie de vivre makes me hot. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. Again, I can sit with you for hours and just talk about how much I adore you, but the audience would be like, "What the fuck is this show?" <laughs> so, so thank you so much for coming on i miss you in a thousand ways you're such a great person thank you so much oh i love you so much andrew you're so great uh, it's been just a real pleasure to it's talk just to you so nice and I, we should do this off we should just do this as humans one day i'd love yeah. it yeah um yeah let's just hang out um tell the people that are listening and who want to get who want to hear more about sick and twisted theater in manitoba canada um about you how can they follow you and support you they can subscribe to our YouTube channel, which has lots of things that we've created over COVID, um, which is Sick and Twisted Theatre on YouTube. They can check out our website, sickandtwisted.ca. Um, yeah, or, or uh, follow us on Facebook. Nice. I'll make sure or that Insta-G. all... Insta... The Insta. I'll the make Insta. sure that all those things are in the show notes. Debbie Patterson. Oh. You're the greatest, you, Andrew, and I miss you so much. Have and I'll see you. Well, you you and I can text now and figure out when we can like hang out again. But okay, great. I want to see you like I, I really I want to see you on a stage with me soon, plotting this thing out, plotting yeah. access me out. So, um, you're great. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Finally, you're the best. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, love you. Bye. Bye. Just before we do the regular outro, just want to remind you that if you want to be a part of the show, you can, of course, go to, you can email me at, right now because the Disability After Dark email is being weird. You can email me at andrew at andrewgerza.com and let me know you want to be a part of the show and I'll send you a, a cool link where you can pick your own day and time and you can then we sign up to be a guest. I would love that. Also, want to remind you that we have Disability After Dark merch friends i'd love for you to get a cool shirt that says shining a bright light on disability stories or a pillow or a mug i want that to be something you enjoy and something you want to get and something that you look at that merch and say wow this show's so great i love that i have this and so if you want to peruse our 
disable merge through T Public. You can go to the link in the show notes that where it says buy disable merge here, and you can pick and choose whatever kind of stuff you want. You can get shirts, sweaters, pillows, so many things, mugs, lots of stuff. So if you want to look at that, click on the show notes after you're done listening. But uh, thank you for sticking around for this episode, and we'll be back next week, of course, for another episode of Disability After Dark. I'm Andrew Gerza, your delectably disabled daddy. Have a good one, friends. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021